Last Sunday, we talked about the fact that every one of us has a message to share. We all have a message to share. Today, we look at one of the most comprehensive stories, one of the comprehensive messages in all of the Bible, spelled out in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 11, that really dictate the life of Saul prior to his coming to Christ. Saul became Paul, but Saul's name meant great one, great one, and he was great in many ways. He was quite a character. So let's read about his message, and then let's examine it together. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4 says, though I, have, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. His first comments declare that if anyone would have confidence in their religiosity, in their own efforts, and their own devotion, it would be none other than him. Philippians 3, 5 to 7 goes on to say, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who damned the strictest obedience to, do, to man, the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. In verse 7, he says that he once thought these things were of great value, but now he considers them worthless because of what Christ did on his behalf. Every convert to Christ, every Christian, every believer reaches a point in their lives where they realize, as Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, all our righteousness are like filthy rags. In comparison to Christ and what he has done, in verses 8 through 11, Paul goes on to say, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, though through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So we took a break for Christmas, and now we're back in Philippians. And I just want to remind you that this topic of Paul coming to Christ and the changes that took place in his life, the value of knowing Christ was something that Jesus illustrated himself on multiple times through several parables. So point number one in your outline says the great wisdom of an obvious exchange. The great wisdom of an obvious exchange. 
Matthew 13, 44 to 46 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And bought it. In both of these parables, both of these stories, when they found the hidden treasure, when they found the pearl of great price representing the kingdom of God, when they found that, they sold all that they had and pursued purchasing that field or purchasing that pearl. From Paul and his own testimony, we learned that there were things in his life that did not impress God, things that do not impress God. Mark 8.36 says to us, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What is the benefit of having everything, and yet when you die, having nothing? Having nothing. In fact, on the sad side of things, you, remember, you may remember the story of the rich young ruler uh, who came to Jesus, and in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 23, he, he came and he asked Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You see, even the rich man, who was very proud of his heritage, obviously, and his accomplishments, he wanted to verify that what he thought was required of him, he'd already done. Been there, done that. That's what he thought. He thought he could inherit eternal life. He indicated in his response to Jesus that he had kept the law and done all that was demanded of him. Then Jesus told him to go and sell all he had and give it to the poor and then come follow him. But he wouldn't do that. He left unresponsive. He left sad. You see, he gave up the pearl of great prize and kept all his own little old stuff. Sinners must abandon everything for Christ. You know, when, when we talk about this, it's important to understand that becoming a Christian is an exchange. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I was for everything that Christ gives me. You can't keep part of it and say, I'll take a half-half. <laughs> just doesn't work that way. It's all or nothing. Um, as we think about this today, we need to think about life in Paul's day, Saul's day. We need to think about it in terms of the things that he was facing and the things that the church was facing. I guess in our day, it would be like the 
Seventh-day Adventists or the Church of Christ or Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or Orthodox churches who have added or taken away truths from the scriptures regarding salvation, placing the responsibility of human activity primary and what God has done secondary. So it's really critical that you understand the difference. And this message is so powerful today. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 9, Luke describes what happens to Saul on the Tarsus Road. Listen to it. Luke writes, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, believers, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he was, as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with Paul, or Saul, stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. We also need to realize the challenges the Philippians were having and facing from the Judaizers. The Judaizers were a heretical group that taught that circumcision and obedience to the law of Moses were necessary for salvation. The Judaizers would argue that the Philippians, for the most part, were not Jewish. They were Gentiles. So they would, not they would not understand the importance of the law or of salvation. However, Saul knew Judaism personally. Saul understood Judaism better than anyone else. In Galatians 1.14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. So as Saul, great one, who became Paul, little one. He went from being great one to being little one. Speaks. He is setting things straight. He's setting things the way they ought to be. He's basically saying, I was there. I've done that. I lived that life, and that life does not give you any benefit whatsoever when it comes to the kingdom of God. So let's look at this, this together. Here are some of the things he addressed in the passage that we read earlier. Point number two, your rituals. Your rituals. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5 he says, I was circumcised eight days after my birth. You see, Paul had done, 
as Saul, he had done by his parents what a good Jew would do. He was, as the literal translation of the text says, with respect to circumcision, an eighth-dayer. That's the literal, literal translation. Salvation does not come to us on the basis of any ritual or ceremonies. Be they the Jewish circumcision, the Roman Catholic Mass, the Orthodox infant baptism, or the Protestant observance of communion. Rituals fall in the loss column. The loss column of salvation in the ledger. In the Greek, the loss there is zemia column, zemia. So if you're counting on those things, they are in the zemia, loss column. They will ultimately condemn you. They will not help you. Next, point number three, he talks about your race. Your race. Philippians 3, 5, he says, I am from the people of Israel. From the people of Israel. Paul was interesting in that he was a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A heritage. A heritage that the Jewish people relied on for salvation. This too was part of the Zemia column. The lost column. No racial standing is gained by one's birth. None whatsoever. It doesn't matter this morning if you're white or brown or black or green. It matters not. God made you that way. You need to celebrate how God made you. But when it comes to salvation, salvation has absolutely nothing to do with race. Zero. Number four, your rank. Your rank. Paul was a pretty special dude as Saul. Philippians 3, 5, he says, from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin. Did you know that Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, when, when the kingdom was divided, the Benjamites, they got part of, they got Jerusalem and they got to take care of the, all of the traditions and so on. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Unlike many in his day when he's writing this, Many people did not know what tribe they were a part of because of the diaspora, because of the dispersion. Paul knew what tribe he was from because his family remained in the tribe of Benjamin. His family, again, remained consistent to being part of that rank, high-ranked position. But, unfortunately, this was part of the Zema side of the column again, the lost side. Family status has nothing to do with your salvation. I don't care if your dad was whoever. It matters not. So we find him going on. Philippians 3, 5a. Excuse me. I'm sorry, I got so excited. I, I messed up. <laughs> so he's going on to number five, your traditions. Your traditions. Philippians 3, 5, he says, I am a Hebrews, and my parents were Hebrews. See, even though he was born in Tarsus, even though he was born in Asia Minor, Saul remitted, he remained committed to his Hebrew dialect, his Hebrew culture, the Orthodox traditions, the customs of his ancestry. He did not become a Hellenized Jew who had been assimilated into the Greco-Roman culture. He didn't do that. 
In fact, when he grew up, when Saul grew up, he left and went to Jerusalem. He went and left to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. In Acts 26, 4, Paul confidently declares, So then all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. This too fell into the Zemia, the lost column. It did not help his case or benefit his salvation that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now you got to think about this. All of these things stacked up from the traditional religious sense to his benefit. All of them were great. You can imagine Saul walking through the streets of Jerusalem and all the mothers, you know, and all they were just hollering and shouting, there, that one, that one, that one. Go after that one. Because he's great. He's great. He lives the life, talks the talk. He's been there. He's done that. Now what? What's going to happen to him? Well, his religious persuasions, number six. Philippians 3, 5, the law of Moses was very important to me, he says. That is why I became a Pharisee. That is why I became a Pharisee. A Pharisee of Pharisees, he says. I was so strict and so direct on what I was doing that I became part of the elite. He was like in the military what we would call SEAL Team 6 material. He was on the top rung level. So here's Saul, who's this guy, and he is a religious dude to the nth degree. Luke reports that Paul, in Acts 26 and verse 5, declared that, I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. A big deal. A cherished position, influential place. But not before God. Not before God. Paul found out that as profound as this humanly was for him, it also fell into the Zemia column, the lost column. It was what we might call a nothing burger. <laughs> they, they would not call it that, but it was obviously very disappointing for those who were counting on this stuff. And then all of it falls in the lost column. And before we get to the next point, point number seven, your sincerity. Let me just take a moment and ask, what are you trusting? What are you giving your life for? What are you relying on? What status do you have? What position do you have? What history do you have? What is it that you are holding on to and saying, yep, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it because of X, Y, and Z. Well, all of the X, Y, and Zs in that column that were once in the gain column went to the lost column, Zemia column, just like sincerity. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 6, when it comes to being enthusiastic, I was a prosecutor of the church. Persecutor of the church, thank you. Paul himself testifies about what he was up to. In Acts 22 verses 3 and 5, he says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, 
being zealous for God just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priests and, the, and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. He thought all of this was part of the plus column. No, he was sincere, but sincerely wrong. The Zemia column keeps growing. <coughs> Everything that Paul or Saul was relying on keeps getting put in the loss column. Can't count on that. Can't count on that. Can't count on that. Oh, can't count on that either. I mean, there's so many things. So many things that we look to. So many things that we hold on to. So many things that we hope for. And you need to understand today, you can't count on any of it. You cannot count on any of it. Sincerity is never a substitute for truth. Sincerity is never a substitute for truth. And then he finally speaks about legalism, your legalism. Philippians 3.6, he says, When it comes to winning God's approval by obeying Jewish laws, I was perfect. Wow. In man's eyes, Saul was perfect. You saw him. You looked at his credentials. You realized what he was doing. He was a pretty hot puppy. But Saul didn't have it all together. He realized that there was something missing. Those who observed his life would have, would, would have to say that his behavior was blameless. But with God, it wasn't righteous. It wasn't righteous. Remember, all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. In order to get into heaven, in order to get and have access to God, in order to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have to have His righteousness. Not yours. Not yours. All these things ended up in the zemia, the lost column. Paul seemed to have it all. In fact, most churches would hire him in a heartbeat before he was converted. He had it all together. I mean, look at all that he knew. Look at all that he brought to the church and all the writings that he gave to us, the scriptures. Man, what a blessed man. But not blessed based on what he had done. Not blessed based on any of the things that we've covered. He'd undergone the proper rituals. He was a member of God's chosen people. He was from the favored tribe of Israel. He had maintained his orthodox heritage. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was zealous and persecuted the church. And he conformed to the outward requirements of Judaism. But guess what he found out? In a moment's notice on his way to Damascus, there on the Damascus road, he found out that all of that was Zemia. All of that was Zero, 
loss. Paul found that by faith in Jesus Christ, <clears throat> all of that could be put in the past. All of that belonged in the past. And he could find another more permanent, more prominent, more strategic column. The gain column. Gain in the Greek is kerdos. So what he thought was kerdos, when he came to Jesus, he found out all of that was zemia. And when he received Christ, he found out that all that he thought was kerdos became kerdos in Christ. So today, the important part of this, for me anyway, and I, I hope it'll help you too, is not just realizing that all the stuff that we have and all the stuff we're holding on to and all the behaviors that we have and even some of the mental logistics that we go through to keep on telling ourselves we're okay, everything's all right, I do this, I do that, I was, no. No, it's important to understand the benefits of trusting in Jesus. The benefits of trusting in Jesus, trusting nothing else, just trusting in Jesus. Some people I know because I've talked to them. Some people are trusting, well, I'm going to have communion next month. Maybe that'll do it. <laughs> or some people say, you know, I've been baptized, but I want to be baptized again because I need, I don't know, <laughs> I need some more clean water. I don't. I don't know. Look, I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just saying to you, you can't trust those things. Those things will not cut it. Those things will not make you. Those things will not give you access. Those things will not promote you. So you need to learn what the benefits are of trusting Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, those things were important to me, all that stuff. But now... I think they are worth nothing because of Christ. How can those things be worth nothing because of Christ? All that he thought was gain became as loss for him. What did he find by placing his faith in Jesus? What did Paul find? What did Saul experience by trusting Jesus? Point number nine in your notes, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. The value of knowing Jesus Christ. He says in Philippians 3, 8, and 9, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Paul, little one, no longer great one, he starts by saying, more than that. More than that. Did you know that that phrase, more than that, is an untranslatable phrase? You can't translate that. They've tried. In fact, the best translation is this. But indeed, therefore, at least even. What is Paul saying? 
Paul is saying that the contrast between what he thought was good and turned out to be a loss and receiving Jesus, knowing Jesus, there's no contrast. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is everything. Jesus is far bigger, far greater. I was talking to somebody on the phone this, this last week who's, who's had, who had surgery and praying with them and stuff, and, and they asked about John. And they said, you know, as believers, you have to ask yourself the question, who's bigger, Jesus or cancer? Jesus. Jesus is bigger than all. Jesus is far surpassing of any of that. So he counts all of this as rubbish. The word rubbish is a unique word. It can mean waste, manure, excrement. That's rubbish. He says all of that stuff was rubbish in contrast to gaining Christ. So how? How did he gain Christ? In the passage, we're told he did so by faith. He did so by faith. And before I forget, just a brief acrostic on faith might help you. Jot it down in your notes there. Faith is forsaking all, I take him. Forsaking all, I take Jesus. I take him. Because you remember we said a little while ago, you've got to let go of everything to have Christ. You can't trust anything. Nothing. You only can trust Christ. The surpassing value. Something whose worth cannot be compared with anything else. You can't find anything like it. This last week, they were talking about a little flyer, about a five-by-seven flyer that was being auctioned off at Christie's for five to six million bucks. Just a little flyer like this, and it was by the uh, Sons of Liberty before the revolution, and they were trying to put into place the Stamp Act. And so they, they wrote up these little flyers, handwritten, and they put them all over the place on, on, on doors, on posts, and so on. Anyway, there's two that are known left, and one of them was going to be auctioned at Christie's auction house. It basically said, you guys, if you ever, if any of you do this, you've got to watch out for your property, for your belongings, and for your life. And you know what's amazing? They didn't have to take anybody's life. A couple of, couple of times they went in and did some, some rearranging of materials inside a couple of homes. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. But they didn't have to take anybody's life, which is a wonderful thing. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know him? 
Do you know him? See, the benefit of coming to Christ, giving up everything and coming to Christ, is you get to know him. And the word know is an interesting one. In fact, there's a whole group of people who think that they're really special. They're called Gnostics. They think they've really made it beyond everybody else. It's the same word. It's the same word Paul says to know. To know, Gnostic, Jesus. And what he's helping us to understand is that knowing Jesus, in fact, did you know that when you read the Old Testament, that word know is equivalent to having a special intimate sexual relationship with your wife and having kids? In fact, look at the Bible. It says so-and-so knew so-and-so, and they had so-and-so. <laughs> so it's, it's all right there. Do you know him? Not do you know about him. Do you know him? Do you know him? The second thing is the surpassing value of gaining his righteousness. Point number 10, gaining his righteousness. Man, the righteousness of Jesus is not just perfect. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's awesome. And when you come by faith to Jesus, Jesus gives you his righteousness. He gives you, it's, a, it's an incredible exchange. It really is. See, Paul's righteousness was one, Saul's, was one of self-effort, external morality, religious rituals, and moral works. And none of that worked for him. In fact, that stuff is crushing. The weight of it is unbearable. The more you trust in that good, humanly good stuff, listen to me, the more it will destroy you. It will destroy you. It is unbearable. As Romans 3.23 reminds us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or James chapter 2 and verse 10 again reminds us of our vulnerability. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles on one point, he becomes guilty of the whole law. How does God do this for us? How does God give us this righteousness? Well, let the scriptures speak for themselves. In, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says the following, He being God made him being Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He gave us what I call the great exchange. I'll take what you think is a prophet. I'll take what you think is good. I'll take your filthy rags. I'll take your sin I'll take your shame, I'll take your agony, I'll take all of that and I'll die for it on the cross and you, by putting your faith in me, I will give you my perfect righteousness. Again, check out Hebrews 11, 6-7. It says, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, 
no rain at that time, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Are you gaining his righteousness? By that I mean you receive all of it, but in the process of walking and living with Jesus, it becomes more and more and more impactful in your life. So point number 11 in our notes today is the surpassing value of living with Jesus Christ. So the value of knowing him, the value of gaining his righteousness, and the value of living with him. Living with him. Listen to Philippians 3, 10 and 11. <clears throat> he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Living with Jesus involves three things from that passage. Three critical things. Number one, we have to get to know him better every day. Now, he gives you the whole thing. But through the course of time, the whole thing becomes more and more and more and more part of your daily life, your daily life. We must grow spiritually. I remind you all of 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to him for eternity. Amen. Ephesians 4, I remind you, Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 says, As a result, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every kind of wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful skimming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We are to grow up. We are to know him better and better every day. It's an important question because there's a lot of Christians who don't know him better. There's a lot of believers who've not passed step one. 2 Timothy 3.14 reminds us, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. So we grow in Christ. We grow in our relationship with Christ. We grow in knowing more about Him. And in the process, He does some unique and amazing stuff in us and in our surroundings. He changes us. He keeps on taking stuff that we've been holding on to, and he says, uh, get rid of that. It's of no value here. You don't need that. You got me. Not me. You got Jesus. That's all you need. The second thing we learn here is this. We should experience the power of his resurrection. We should experience the power of his resurrection. You know, the resurrection power of Jesus from the dead is something for all of us who believe. In Acts 4.33, it says, And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. 
I love 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20. Listen to it. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. In power. You don't have to use your words to try to prove to anybody anything, anywhere, anytime. Allow the Spirit of God to live and dwell in you and empower you. To empower you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in you as a believer today. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, 2 Timothy 1.7, but God has given us power and love and discipline. Listen to Paul's benediction, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. You know, I just want to encourage you. Don't look to the stuff in the Zemia column. Don't look to the stuff that you think is going to carry you through. Don't look to the stuff that's this world's philosophies. Don't look to the stuff that you think is going to help you in your time of need and trouble. Turn your attention to Jesus. I say that in any way and every way. I say that for John who's going through chemo right now for cancer. Jesus is still his answer. I say that for you and your challenges and the struggles you're facing every day. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do in you and through you that makes the difference. Third, we have to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. Remember Romans 8, 18? Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Are you living with Jesus today? Put your confidence in Jesus today, right now. Experience the power of his resurrection. Share in the fellowship of his sufferings. I think about his last comment. Paul's last comment. He says, I want to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And there's no worries, Paul. There's no worries. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You know, this last week, <coughs> this last week I did a service for Mariam who used to be part of our Farsi fellowship. And um, she had a lot of physical troubles. And uh, she decided that enough was enough. Her, she had had several heart attacks, and she decided, I just can't go on. Anyway, when I met with the, with the kids and with, with the family and friends, during the regular service, I shared about the fact that she was a prepared person. She knew the Lord as her shepherd. And because of that, she went to a prepared place. We went to a prepared place. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, at her last breath, I said, her spirit and her soul went to be with God. Her body is here. Her body is here. What are you going to do about the body? 
Well, at the graveside service, I asked the question, what happens to the body? Does it just sit here and stay here? What happens to the body? And I said, well, listen, this body here is just waiting. Just waiting. She's not here. She's gone. So when you come to visit her body, remember, she is with the Lord. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Her soul and her spirit immediately went to be with the Lord. Here is her body. And her body is just waiting. What is her body waiting for? Her body is waiting for the trump of God. When the trump of God sounds, the dead will put on that which is imperishable. The mortal will put on that which is immortal. Listen to the words that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. I know it sounds like a lot, but just listen, 50 to 58. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal put, must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose. He rose. And so therefore, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths. We thank you, Father, today and ask you. We ask you to speak to our hearts, to reveal to us today, Father, if we are trusting you or not. Do we know you or not? Are we gaining your righteousness? Are we living with you, walking with you? Lord God, help us today respond affirmatively if we haven't already and so as I take a moment to pause I ask you are any of you trusting in any of that stuff that now is as you know in the Zemia column are you trusting any of that don't trust any of that 
Maybe you came to Christ and you're trusting Christ, but you're still holding on to all that stuff. Let go. Let go of that stuff. Only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus. Knowing Jesus, there is no greater thing. So God, I pray your blessing on each one. And I pray, Father, that if they have not received Christ, that they would do that even right now, today, this morning. Lord, help us as a church to walk, to walk in light of what we believe in Jesus' name.